Everybody, welcome to All Things Music Podcast number two. It is our second episode, and I say ours because it is myself, Jeremy England, and my partner in crime, Miss Daphne Check. How are you doing today, Daphne? Oh, I'm hanging in there, Jeremy. How are you? I am pretty good, I think. I am a little intimidated, to be honest, about uh, the topic, the person we're going to talk about today. Uh, uh, me too. I just hope we do, <laughs> I hope we do her justice. And uh, somebody who is in, uh, a lot of people around me listen to that I have just really recently started listening to. And we're talking about Neo Soul Queen, even though she denies the title, uh, Erica Badu. So how much do you know about Erica Badu? Uh, very little. Um, and that's why when you approached me with uh, her name, I jumped all over it. I, I've heard her name in just musical circles, but I don't really know much about her other than knowing she's so highly regarded. And up until we started doing the outline for this, I, I really knew so little. And I, I got to admit, I'm, I'm like you. I'm nervous because she's so revered. I, I want to make I really, really want to do her justice. Um and talk about her in the right light. So I am I am really excited about getting to know her a little more. Yeah. And if you are uh, coming to our podcast for the first time uh, and you didn't listen to our previous iteration of, of this style, what we try to do is just highlight new artists that we are learning about, right? We're going to go over their lives, some of their influences, some of their stylings and stuff, just kind of introducing the artist to you, uh, and a lot of times it just ends up being us learning about them and then sharing what we have learned, uh, and in the end, really adding new stuff to my my music uh, streaming system so I can you know have new music uh, because like yes. you, I did not know much about uh, Erica Badu before this. Same thing, I knew she was important. I knew she was a part of uh, the neo soul movement, but um, I just never. It, it just never really came across as like an album I would listen to. So like uh, maybe a song I've heard, but like the past few days, uh, I've been listening to a lot of music. And I, I've even linked in the show notes for you uh, later uh, a Spotify artist page and then uh, the Apple Music Essentials uh, and the NPR Tiny Desk concert that she did. So I've been listening. <laughs> you know, I've been trying to absorb all of this music into my soul. Me too. Yeah. Like the thing here is um, a lot of times when when we do uh, podcasts like these, as you were referring to, um, I kind of think of them as an oral report, kind of, um, but yeah. we're discussing it. Um, and a lot of times when we're working on the outlines, if we pick an artist, particularly if I'm not familiar with them, I get my Apple Music out and just tell it to randomize the artist, which is exactly what I did here. And I was so chill just writing <laughs> yeah. this, yeah. these outlines. It was, it, she's absolutely most, most of her stuff is a complete vibe and, and it's just really, it, it can transport you. And I see why people really gravitate toward her because it's like, a lot of her music seems to envelop you and really take you in. And I, I think already I'm, I'm just already a new fan of hers just from this. I'm sure she would appreciate that uh, only because I watched a video of her performing uh, with the New York Times or for the New York Times. And it was just like an informal kind of thing and then some question and answers. And somebody had asked, like, where do you want people, where do you want people to go with your music? And uh, she said in, you know, to go into yourself oh. and to, to like look deep into your soul and to look deep into how you feel and how you interact with the world. So for you even to say that's what it did for you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you've already got the whole vibe, you know? <laughs> well, very good. Then I'm a, a – well, they call Justin Bieber fans believe, believers, believers. What do yeah. they call them? What's the what's believers. the version for Erica Badu? <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I need to know yeah, her yeah, version. I yeah. Uh, so who is, she, who is she in a nutshell? She's an American singer and a songwriter. Uh, she's a record producer and a record label owner, I believe. Uh, she's also an actress and uh, she's a fashion model. Uh, she modeled fashion, perfume. She really has done everything 
artsy that you could think of, except maybe painting. And I would not be surprised if we found some Erica Badu painting somewhere out in the world. But she is just a singer-songwriter and an actress. Is If I were going to distill her down to, you know, a label, I suppose. Um, particularly, I said earlier, in the neo-soul movement. Are you familiar with neo-soul? Not really, no. Yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. It is pretty much if this is going to be so bad as a music teacher to say this, and especially <laughs> in a podcast since you're listening to us, not the music. But when you hear it, you'll know. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, and, and I guess if you if you've never listened to uh, Erica Badu, I think the uh, a more recent equivalent, uh, maybe like a Macy Gray type style or Lauren Hill. Those are both other kind of um, – D'Angelo is a, another uh, neo-soul common, has some uh, elements of it. But uh, I, I liken it to – I call it a alternative soul movement and I put alternative in quotes because the alternative rock scene was a direct uh, departure from 80s – glam, like metal arena rock. It was basically, we're going to go and do something totally different. Uh, we're going to take some elements of this, but we're going to distill it down to just the music. And that's, I think, what the neo-soul movement kind of was. It's just, we're going to take it and we're going to combine a bunch of elements, but it's going to really be focused on the art and not necessarily being commercially successful or selling out arenas. Um, that's not the primary focus first. So um, mm-hmm. mostly singer-songwriters like, uh, like Erica Badu here. Uh, very, I think, and if you've been listening to Daphne, you probably have heard some very interesting lyrics, uh, challenging, not like, well, both, it's, it's usually socially aware. So the, the lyrics are challenging in that sense, but also uh, they're, not like, they're not straightforward like you might hear in country music, right? There's, there's a lot of... Um, uh, Twists and turns in the lyrics, I guess, is, is the way to mm-hmm. say it. And she almost, honestly, she almost dabbles in a little bit of word painting. Yes, because she's because she's like the way she's she kind of like weaves this tapestry with her lyrics with in a lot of ways. That's very interesting you say that because she grew up as an MC, so uh, a rapper, uh, basically, and, and all that. And uh, if you listen to like rap, it's all about. The lyrics, right, and then weaving uh, interesting stories and ideas and, and stuff into it, and this also comes from that interview. Is they ask like somebody asked like, "Hey, are you gonna ever just drop like a whole album of you just rapping, uh, or would they say like uh, spitting verses or something like that?" You know, and she said, "I do do that still, but I'm just doing it with like a little bit of melody to it." You know, so very much uh, lyric word. Driven, which I think is is cool, and it, it gets you kind of the that combined with the the soul and funk music, uh, the and jazz that is inside of this neo soul instrumentation. You get this very unique style of music that is lyric heavy, spoken word with melody over top of uh, I call it like smooth jazz and smooth funk and gospel harmonies <laughs> all yeah. put together. Uh, and I think it's, it's a cool music, man. It's a cool style of music. What's so funny is when I first started listening to her, before we even started this, my very first thought was, boy, this, this kind of reminds me of The Roots. <laughs> and as we studied her, she has some significant ties to them, which so it's kind of funny. I sort of recognized it when I heard it, or at least had inklings of it. It's it's very recognizable, I think. That's really funny. And when we teach in class, the roots always come up in the uh, alternative hip-hop section. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even going through this, I have learned a new kind of uh, vocabulary to help help point kids to a new direction. Um, but yeah, it is very, it's funny that you said that because you'll see Quest Love and stuff come up <laughs> later mm-hmm. in and their Tariq, journey. Uh, Black Thought yeah. is a lot in her um, biography. Well let's, well, let's go ahead and talk about her life a little. Um, since we talked about kind of what she's known for, let's give you a little background about what 
um, her life looked like before she became the star. So first of all, she's she was born in Dallas um, in 1971, and she grew up with her brother and sister and mother. Her father left home at some point in her young life, um, so it was just them. And then her grandmother ended up coming in to help raise them, which we've seen that all the time in life. Um, she starts performing at the age of four at the Dallas Theater Center, which I'm not familiar with that venue. Perhaps you are. Um, not a venue I know. Um, it's yeah, I don't. I, it's it's interesting because uh, the theater is important, but it was more important to the. There was a program started to highlight uh, like young black artists. And so I think it was like her grandfather or something that helped form this. And so uh, that, yeah, that's where she got her start was acting on stage at four and found out that's what she loved. So many of these artists we find out get their start young, that just start before they can barely even talk. Kind of reminded me of Dolly Parton a little bit, how she started. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, she starts performing at four. Uh, she, at, she starts performing on the radio at 14 as MC Apples, which I love that. Um, <laughs> that's a great name. It's, that's it's so innocent, you know, it MC is. Apples. It is. And I just <laughs> adore it. Um, but one of the things I found that was most interesting, I found this in my re- in our research, was at this very young age, she just kind of became very aware Um, of the world around her. And so she makes a conscious choice at 14 um, to change her name. Now, her name was Erica, being spelled E-R-I-C-A. But she decides um, that she's changing the spelling because she felt that um, the original spelling of her name was a, quote, slave name. So she decided to change it to, and I'm going to spell this out, E-R-Y-K-A-K. H, And it uses Ka, K-A-H, which signifies the inner self. Now, I didn't know too much about this, but you noted that this is um, a practice that happens in the national, uh, especially in the national uh, of Islam sorry, movement. Sorry, nation, uh, nation of Islam. Nation of Islam. Nation of Islam. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you, where did you find that? Was that in the um, your research too? Uh, yeah, I looked it up because uh, okay. I've heard slave name before, and so I looked mm-hmm. up slave name, and that took me to um, – it it's a reclaiming of of uh, African identity a lot of times. And uh, so when I say it's – when I write on here that it is an encouraged practice of uh, the Nation of Islam movement, it's not only people who are a part of that movement that will decide to change their name the way that I understand it. It's a, it's a, it's a term of taking power back as an individual um, but if you happen to be in that movement, uh, which he has ties to, then it's like a, it's an encouraged practice. And some other famous examples, uh, Cassius Clay becomes Muhammad Ali. Uh, yes. Malcolm X, and uh, you forgive me, I forget his original uh, name, uh, but Malcolm X is, is his changed name. So it's not something that is uncommon or new, but it is a way to to claim power for yourself. Uh, and to tie back to something that's important and a part of an identity. And that's I think it's important I wrote this in here because, uh, as we'll talk later, this is very early, at a very early age, an indication of the things that will influence her music and what drives her as an artist. So uh, even at a very early age, she had a very uh, in, uh, unique way of looking at the world uh, that would eventually, you know, bring her all the success that she has had and and the voice that she has used for her social activism. Yeah. She, the fact that she can even recognize this at 14 is absolutely astounding to me. Um, And I think that is just a nod to her intellect and talent right there that she already has these, um, I I don't know if feelings is the right word, but she has this sense already at that young age because things are in so much fluid at 14 years old. Yeah. And I would add, too, just for a little bit of context and history. So she was born in 71. She's the last age we have here is 14. So that's like the mid-80s that she is uh, recognizing this. And this is also when hip-hop itself is starting to become like a thing. Like it's starting to explode. And uh, black identity and hip-hop culture uh, have a very tight uh understanding or a tight relationship. So um, it's not 
you know, finding identity for probably one of the first times as as a black person, and I might be speaking out of turn, so forgive me, but uh, having a cultural identity, um, it makes sense that she would also become socially aware, even at such a young age, um, inside of a city, that there's something that she can actually hold on to really for the first time as an, as an art form that's mainstream uh, as opposed to just kind of being underground. Yeah. Well said. I hope so. <laughs> Who knows? You know, maybe yeah. if, if I'm totally wrong, <laughs> yeah. and I, I totally welcome this. If I'm like totally off base here, by all means, just let me know. And I'm happy to to, to learn more. So, <laughs> yeah. I, well, and that's obviously I second that. So let us know. Definitely. So, um, well, let's keep pushing forward here. So she uh, grows past 14. Yep. <laughs> uh, she graduated from <laughs> she graduated from Booker T. Washington High School for the Performing and Visual Arts in 1989, where she studied dance and theater. Um, she goes on to attend Grambling State University in HBCU, which I had actually never heard of, so I was excited to learn about this university, but attended Grambling State University. At that time, she majored in theater, minored in quantum physics, which, wow, um, because quantum physics, I can't even imagine, <laughs> right. um, and then left, left the, but she left the school in 93 uh, to pursue a career in music, so she never technically got her degree, but clearly she used a lot of her education at this point to uh, further her career. Uh, this leads her leaving there, uh, gets her to record a demo um, called Country Cousins, which was actually with her cousin, Robert Free Branford. Um, this demo leads to a meeting with D'Angelo, which we just referenced. Um, and then, of course, D'Angelo picks it up and they, she eventually gets inked with Universal Records shortly after making the demo. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because uh, I, I did not know, I mean, until you mentioned that she had, had recorded that demo first. I mean, what I saw was she opened up, right, for D'Angelo when he came to Texas and uh, somebody, like, noticed her and then, then it blew up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I say, when I say blew up, um, I was just fascinated by her first album, uh, which is called uh, uh, Baduism. Uh, and the story I guess she tells about this is she had a friend or somebody that they're working with that always said, like, that's a Baduism, you know, referring to her. They say something ism. Uh, so we got Baduism, which is like her guiding principles of life, essentially. So she makes this album, in, which comes out in 1997. Uh, her first album, this blows me away, her first album goes triple platinum. <laughs> you know, just like it just – just no explodes. big deal. Just, you know, You're right. triple you know, like, platinum. No big one. Uh, hey, uh, you know, I'm Erica Badu, and here's a triple platinum album, you know? NBD. And then, yeah, and then shortly after, <laughs> shortly after that, they record and release a live album. And this album, a live album, goes double platinum. It explodes as well. Like, it's just, it's Again, so... NBD. Right. And here's my favorite, <laughs> probably one of my favorite facts about Erica Badu so far that I've learned, and... Um, there's a lot to to love about her, but one of her most recognizable and uh, I think one of her most famous songs, and that could be uh, at least that showed up in all the top charts, you know, when you're looking at music, is a song called Tyrone. The fun fact about Tyrone is it is a song that was made up on stage for the, during that live performance. Like they just – they had like worked on some stuff beforehand, but it wasn't on the set list. Uh, she talks about she just like looked over at the band and the singers and said, we're kind of doing this. And then they make a song on stage. And she said they recorded it that night. And on the next day, she heard it on the radio. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. so good. That song, too, is not only is that cool, but can we discuss how cool that song is? That song is yeah. like... I- I don't even know if I have the right words to describe it, but when it came on the other day, when I had, um, you know, her playlist on, I could close my eyes and I was in that auditorium. It's like you just, again, maybe I'm referring to what I, I said earlier where I just felt sucked into everything when I was listening to her, but I just got this really like smoky, crowded room, um, chill vibe, although the lyrics aren't mm-hmm. especially chill. Um, but it was just, it, it, I don't know how to describe it, but I, I kind of was like, this is the musical equivalent of smoke in the air because it just like swims yeah. around. It just swims around and it's just the, and just the thought that they just 
improvise that blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. And I think this is like – it gets into uh, some – a group we'll talk about in just a minute called the Solquarians. Uh, just like their ability to come up with stuff on the spot. And I think this is an important aspect of of music that can be highlighted right here that's used a lot in uh, styles like jazz or blues or rock or uh, uh, soul, I guess, to this point, of just like being able to sit around and jam and like – know each other and what you're going to do. Like, obviously, they had some ideas fleshed out, like, but high-quality musicians will be able to pick up where you're going or will be able to take little fragments of songs and put them together to, like, make something really good. Or if a band's been playing together for a long time, you really can just kind of start to read each other's minds. So, uh, yeah, she's just able to come up there with these lyrics and, like you said, just actually make you feel something and put you into a space uh, it's pretty powerful. Now, if you've never heard the song Tyrone, because I listened to it too, loved it. Uh, mm, it's amazing. It is not for uh, men. <laughs> it's like it's a song. It's a song basically about deadbeat guys, deadbeat boyfriends, or whatever. And I think they, somebody described it as like uh, it's the lyrics of a, a frustrated woman chiding a deadbeat boyfriend, or something like that. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just it's pretty great. It, you know what it reminds me of? This maybe not a fair comparison, and maybe it makes him mad. But the first thing I thought of was like it's a really really laid back version of No Scrubs uh, by TLC. <gasps> oh <laughs> yes! Oh my gosh! Now I see, I can totally see that. No Scrubs is a little more to the forefront. No Scrubs is a little bit of a middle finger. Whereas this yes. is this is not quite the middle finger, but the hands in the air. I think, thing. I think Tyrone, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the hands in the air. And I think Tyrone is much more like like a song of somebody telling their girlfriends about what they're experiencing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like let me tell you about this guy. <laughs> and yes. this, and like that's just what comes out and she does it lyrically with a, a band behind her. So And with such ease. Uh, with such, with such ease. ease. Yeah. 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 Uh, so she she took time off to raise her son, uh, which happened like, – her son was born the same day that the live album was released, like the, the same exact day. Um, and so I think – say so took time off. Her son was born. And then second studio album is Mama's Gun, released in 2002, followed by Worldwide Underground in 2000. And three, and so this album is different, and I think that's what I can appreciate about Erica Badu's journey that I've learned about so far. She does change what she's saying in her albums and what the idea and premise is behind each of them. Uh, this one is different because it was designed to be more uh, a quote-unquote continuous groove. Uh, but it, you know, I don't know. It's so d- different, especially if you have like your debut album that goes triple platinum, your follow-up album which is a live version of all the stuff you've recorded, go double platinum. Any switch after that is going to be met kind of with some um, some hesitancy, I think, by critics because they expect one thing of you. But if we learned anything about Erica Badu, it's that you can't expect anything from her because <laughs> mm-hmm. she'll just kind of flip the script on it. Well, I also think that when you're dealing with critics, and no disrespect to critics out there, but an artist shouldn't... Uh, this is where I'll get on a small soapbox. I don't think an artist should be contained to their past work in order to produce future work. Things change. Things are fluid. So um, I don't think it was a bad thing that she decided to go her way. I think the most important thing was that she did what she as an artist felt that she needed and wanted to do. So um, any when there's criticism that, oh, well, you've changed, man. Well, yeah, they've changed because they're a different <laughs> right. person. They're an artist. So I always find I always I always cringe a little bit with the word criticism when it's used to compare a current work to a past work because things change. I agree. Some of the influences from this album or as that are evident in this album is from this collaborative group, this collective uh, called the Solquarians. Uh, and I think this is a cool 
a cruel group. I love the name. I think it's named after the astrological sign. Uh, but the Soulquarians is a rotating collective of experimental black music artists during the late 90s and early 2000s. Members of the collective include singer and multi-instrumentalist D'Angelo, drummer and producer Amir Questlove Thompson, producer Jay Dillard, song, singer-songwriter Erica Badu, trumpeter uh, Roy Hargrove, keyboardist James uh, Poyser, singer uh, a, I don't know how to say this name, Bilal, uh, sorry, person, uh, yeah, bassist Pino Palladino, and then producers Q-Tip and Most Def, and then rappers Talib Kweli and Common. So, What a powerhouse group you just named. Oh, my goodness. I know. It's, <laughs> like, it is, I think, it, well, it says here, I mean, just, they all are people who are interested in this time in pushing forward and experimenting with the genre that they all are a part of. And um, combining a lot of different influences, uh, and I think the cool thing about this group is there there are there are super groups that have been formed in the past uh, that will like bring all these people together and they'll like go tour and be like you think of like a lot of the rock bands from the eighties you know they'll have these super groups come out. But uh, what I really appreciate about this group and this collective is they all worked together on each other's albums. So like you would say, hey, I need a drummer. Questlove wants to come over here and check out what I have laid down and uh, see what you can put out there. And then, hey, trumpeter Roy, you know, like you want to add something to this album. And everybody worked together to produce each other's albums, which, you know, you can hear little snippets and kind of influences across all of them. Uh, so it's kind of like a whole like a whole genre of musicians <laughs> are like, let's all work together to like make music for our genre as opposed to just ourselves. I love it. And anytime you collab with people of this caliber, you're going to get, well, platinum music. You just, <laughs> right. There's no way around it. I think <laughs> I, I was I, I went aside for the Soulquarians. I was laughing on their Wikipedia page. It shows like uh, whose album it was, and then who produced it, and like what it achieved. And so there's you know multiple platinums, a, a few golds, and then I felt really bad. And I haven't listened to their album, so who knows what happened. But there's a couple people that didn't chart at all, <laughs> and you're kind of like. Aww. Oh, I, f- I feel bad for you. <laughs> but I'd still listen to it. There's no yeah, way. I'm With sure. these people, it's really good. <laughs> right. And I'm especially, um, you know, I think Quest is one of the better drummers uh, out there right now. I think Q-Tip is underrated a bit. I think people sleep on him um, in common. Although he's he's kind of in the popular, uh, he's in the public eye, I guess, more so these days than yeah. he used to be. But I think Common's really good, too. Well, they're all good, yeah. though. I can't. I can't say I'm <laughs> right. super familiar with all of them, but those are the ones that I personally know. You could, about. You could probably type any one of their names into I, or Apple Music and just have a good afternoon <laughs> exploring that, music. I'm sure that might be how my day goes after this. Well, there you go. <laughs> I might just all listen right. to it all. <laughs> all right. So tell us about New America. Okay, so there are technically two New Americas. Which, by the way, I want to spell. I want to spell this out. America is spelled A M E. R-Y-K-A-H, just like her name. And I have to say, every time I was writing her name in this outline, I had to check it like three times because I kept tripping <laughs> right. on it. So I, I hope I spelled it right consistently. Um, so there's a part one and a part two. Part one um, is referred to as the Fourth World War. It's basically like her take on the current events at the time. Um, but again, so the funny thing I found about this was that um, – she had her own personal computer to do this. She she got <laughs> her first computer and she was just like, okay, I'm going to make my own album now. So she would get like snippets of music from, from Quest and Q-Tip and, and Dejilla or, or yeah, Dejilla. Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was hard. I apologize. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Um, but they would send her music and she would mess with it on her personal computer. So she was able to create this traveling studio, which I really kind of adored um i'm glad you brought that up because i thought i thought it was hilarious like reading through and it just it made such a big deal about her personal computer and uh yeah it did uh, our last show we talked about like i talked about ipad and how you could like basically record whole songs on a little slab of glass you know and like here we are one of the most influential uh hip-hop soul neo-soul singers there are who's like we're like celebrating that she has a personal computer. <laughs> uh, but it's so – it's such a shift. It, this is a huge shift for those of you who are not old enough to kind of remember. Like 
uh, especially if you're not in music, the ability to be able to produce your own music and mess with stuff without having to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to get specialized equipment, to be in a special room with a special person, uh, to be able to have your own control is such freedom for an artist, especially if somebody who is as free that we have come to understand, Erica Badu, as free as her to be able to do that uh, is just, it's mind-blowing. And I think part of the reason they kept saying her personal computer, <laughs> uh, but it just, it cracks me up. It's such a, a shift, but it is a huge shift. That's an aside for you, you youngsters out there. You youngsters. The wow. Utes. What? You made that up. You made that word up. <laughs> Is that a real word? <laughs> the Utes, yeah. It's not a real Nuh-uh. word. It's like a uh, – it's not a real word. It's it's from New Girl maybe. No, they say youths. Uh, I forget where I picked it up from. I am going to Google that because I find fault with what you just did. I'm pretty sure you <laughs> – to me that sounds like you made that up. Um, that's hilarious. And I'm not saying – I mean I'm sure you're not lying, but I have never heard that. So I'm totally giving you a side eye um, with that. <laughs> and we'll be back on that. Um, Okay, so that was her part one. Now we get to part two, and I hope I pronounced this right. It's Return of Anka. I I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, It's spelled A-N-K-H. And this album, it's just basically a lot of more collabs, but this time around, um, she actually gets into a little bit of controversy. So let me explain. <laughs> um, and I found this completely fascinating. So one of the songs on there on this album is called Window Seat. Um, she decides she's going to make a video for this this uh, piece of music. So she goes to the site of the JFK assassination and strips down. No clothes mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, she didn't do any permits. It was kind of like a record it fast and be done. Um, and she talks later about how she felt like she was misunderstood and it was simply a protest against a, what we call what's referred to as a quote group think. So people, before we get into that, let me say this people, when they saw this, cause there were people around at the time, it's a public place, maybe they're with family, friends, whatever, just sees this woman getting naked at, at the <laughs> site of where the president was shot. So people weren't really thrilled about this. Um, but she goes on to talk about it being um, this. Pr- she was just misunderstood that she absolutely admired JFK. She was just doing this as a protest against this group think. Um, when I looked this term up, I, I think I heard this back in one point in my life, but I, I couldn't really remember a good definition from it. Um, to sum it up from according to Wikipedia, it's a, it's a condition that occurs within a group when the desire for harmony and conformity leads to poor decision-making. So the avoidance of conflict causes bad choices. So it's basically a group saying, we're just going to agree because we don't want to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm probably summing this up a little bit weird, but that's what a group think is. Have you heard this term before now? I have, yeah, and uh, okay. it is, yeah. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Where people won't speak up against stuff that's wrong or uh, stuff that's controversial because they don't want to rock the boat. Essentially, um, I watched this video last night, and uh, I knew what was happening. Like I knew <laughs> what was going to happen, and right. I still felt like anxious the whole time. And mm-hmm. reading about it, she talks about like. Um, you know, there's people around. And when she says there's people around, it's such an understatement. I mean, there are like a ton of people around. Oh. And the video is so interesting because – and I think I get it. having understood the group think before I watched it uh, or knowing that's what the video was about is it's not – she doesn't get out of her car and then just strip naked. It's like she walks. I mean, she walks through the mall, uh, this open area, and – is taking clothes off one by one. So every chance that she's had to go, everything she's taken off, nobody has said anything until she like gets all the way to the end and she she strips down completely naked and that's it. I mean like so it's like a 5 minute video of just I know what she's doing, I know what's happening, just but still feeling anxious because there are families and people and non-participants and kids around this, um, but nobody 
says anything. <laughs> um, wow. And I just thought it was a, a fascinating video. And I was very interested in my own reaction of, like, how anxious I felt uh, through it or, like, um, I was shocked is even the right word. But, yeah. Uh, and like you said, it was very it was done very quick. Um, the end of it ends with a – the song ends with a gunshot and then she snaps her head backwards and falls down. Um, and like uh, out in like this blue liquid, I think supposed to you know signify blood. It spells out the word groupthink, and it ends with like people chastise what they don't understand. So it's not really like a hidden message too much, unless uh, if you're watching it <laughs> at the, all the way through to the end. If people can make it that far, um, but yeah, she she literally like it starts the she gets out of her car and then she starts walking and then starts taking off clothes. <laughs> um, and then it's, it just it's goes from there. Is yeah, it on YouTube? And, like, yeah, it's on YouTube. Okay. Yep. Okay. I was she, curious. Uh, the director said they had bail money on them in case she got arrested, and she actually doesn't catch any charges immediately. Uh, it wasn't until like somebody made a complaint like a couple days later. I think it was a mom or something, uh, or some. I forget how it goes, but it didn't happen until days later that she kind of got brought in and said. Uh, you know, like, what's up? What's up with that? <laughs> you know, like, what's what up were you that? doing? <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So I, I encourage you to go check it out. Uh, you can't see anything. You know, they, they blur the stuff out when she gets completely naked. But it's just – it's one of those pieces of art that I think you have to see to fully appreciate. It's funny how some pieces of art like that are living and breathing well beyond when they were created. For sure. Because the fact that you had that reaction means it's still doing its job this long. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's still being – you're being roped into the the video just by watching it. And it, it's worth mentioning it, that she says she has no regrets. She's yeah. none. She's like, nope, I did it. That's it. So she stands by what she did. Um Either way, so yeah, I think there's a lot of yeah. There's probably not for right now, but there's a lot of discussion in that to to have about what is art, you know, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So we could save that for another episode, probably. But yeah, um, but since then, for and this is probably totally unrelated. So it's just a weird transition. Since then, she's had no new studio albums, but she has created some mixtapes, uh, including Feel Better World, uh, Love Mrs. Badu, and but you can't use my phone. She like releases a remix or a mixtape uh, using uh, Drake's Hotline Bling. Um, she So she releases like these mixtapes. She also does a really good job, I thought it was fascinating, about releasing individual songs. Either that's mm-hmm. through like her public fan site or like she'll just drop a, a single on uh, iTunes. <laughs> uh, she did say uh, apparently, apparently there okay, is uh, – yeah, uh, a new album coming soon, according to a comment in Instagram. So, uh, really, when was, do you know when she said when that was posted? Uh, sometime in the past year or two, I think. Interesting. Uh, it is interesting. So, these two albums you mentioned, uh, the the last two, she one of them she just didn't have like I think it was one of these albums. Maybe it's another one that she said she's releasing it, but she wasn't going to be constrained to any times, <laughs> and. Uh, Basically, just said I'm going to do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. Uh, essentially, I think because of when we're recording this, um, so you know our future selves will find out if this is true. There's a lot of artists who like to drop Easter eggs before they're about to do something and don't yeah. want to be constrained. They just do it in their own time, and everybody stops kind of expecting it, and then all at once, boom, it goes. So I'm curious in the next several weeks. Um, it, it, we're recording this uh, early October of 21. So yeah. right now there's a whole thing about Adele is dropping hints that she's oh, yeah. about I just to, saw that, yeah. Mm-hmm, she's potentially going to drop something. I think this morning she finally said there is at least a new single coming, but I'm sure it's an album. I would put money on it. So there's there's a lot of, you know, people will, artists will just say, yeah, one's coming. And then right before they do, they'll <laughs> actually really do it. But th- she... Badu seems like she's the kind of person that would fall into that category of I'll do it when yeah. I darn well please and I'll tell you when and I'll drop hints. So it's like <laughs> I feel like she's in that category. I think uh, too – I'm not sure. I don't think it got covered here but she started her own or is working on starting her own um, 
record label, essentially. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Uh, and I wish I could remember the name of it. Um, but basically, it is the idea that she will give the artists their master recordings back after like 10 years or something like that. And the idea is to release the the slaves from their masters. And uh, in the music world, uh, for those of you who aren't hip to like how recording contracts work, uh, a recording company, say Universal, especially in Erica Badu's case, who's her, like, her, her rec- recording company, will say like, okay, you're going to record this album for us and the more power you have, the more time you get and you know more leeway you have. But in the end, you don't end up owning your own master, your own masters or the original recordings the the company does. So that's why when you see something like uh, when like Michael Jackson uh, was getting sued, he probably still is getting sued. <laughs> um, they don't sue necessarily his estate that might come into it or any artist. They might sell or sue the the recording company because they actually have the masters. So they can make all the money off of the master recordings, they can re-release them, they can mix them, they can sell them off, they can license them to to other artists if they want. Uh, and if you're kind of like a low lower player in the field, you might not have as much say in what actually happens to your original recordings. Um, so her new record company, did you look it up, Daphne? Yes, it's called Control Freak, which has, the freak has a great spelling, F-R-E-A-Q. Oh, nice. Yep, so Control Freak is the idea is to, after a certain period of time, to let you have what you created back. Uh, and so some of these like mixtapes and stuff <laughs> uh, and singles uh, were kind of released under that label instead of uh, Universal, <laughs> which is not really probably going to make Universal happy. Um, but, you know, that's well, Erica it's, Badu. That's all, that's all I could say. You know, like, that's, that's, that's Erica that, what, from what I've learned. She's going to do what she's going to do. So let's talk about some of her other, her other public works. Um, yeah. Because you know, she's a musical artist, wonderful, but she's so much more than that. Oh, yeah. She's been on the cover of tons of magazines, so she's done a little modeling. Um, She's been on the cover of Vibe, Essence, Jet Magazines, um, some other ones. If you look at her website, there's a lot of her covers are there. Um, She's been a fashion model. She's, you know, gone on variety television shows and other television shows um, to perform or to just kind of talk about her stance on things. She's done a little bit of film. Remember, she does have a little bit of a theater background, so she's um, appeared in some films. Some of these are documentaries, but this includes, but not limited to, uh, Blues Brothers 2000, uh, Cider House Rules, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, David Chappelle, Dave Chappelle's Block Party and Say My Name. I think the last two are actually uh, biographies or excuse me, documentaries, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But she's done a and little she has bit a couple of that more, too. Yeah, a couple more in the works, I think. Some indie films that are, that mm-hmm. are supposed to be coming out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so she w- – one of the things that I find most interesting – uh, about Erica Badu is is her activism in the world. Um, I just think it's it's a testament to who she is that it's not about her, you know. And if you're going to have lyrics that talk about the experiences of people who are um, suffering, for lack of a better word, then to be able to follow through with that, I think, is just as admirable and I think more important than. Than the music itself. And so she has two things that really popped up uh, for me. One is something called the Sugar Water Festival, and that was with uh, Queen Latifah and Jill Scott. And this is a tour that went around for two years, a year and a half. Uh, and basically the whole idea was to bring awareness to African American uh, the health issues of African-American women, uh, which is a demographic that oftentimes gets uh, less than stellar treatment by medical care professionals. Um, and, and there's a whole lot of stuff that we won't get into today, but that's a, it was a concentrated effort by these three women to do that. And that comes from uh, sugar water, something like water makes up three-fourths of the earth and women are the sugar that are sweet or something, so they got the Sugar Water Festival. Uh, I kind of dig the name. And then we, I know, right? It's a cool name. She she has good naming. <laughs> um <laughs> The next one is the Beautiful Love Incorporated Nonprofit Development. So heck of a name, but it does have a nice 
acronym, which is BLIND. So the Beautiful Love Incorporated Nonprofit Development. And this was established in 1997, and it aims to provide community-driven development for inner-city youth through the use of music, dance, theater, and visual arts, which uh, – so she's from South Dallas. That's where they set up their – uh, their headquarters. So they like revamped this area in South Dallas. And South Dallas itself is kind of one of the um, the more dangerous parts of the city. So she's really like putting her her putting her money where her mouth is. Is that the saying? I, I always say it weird when I yeah put your money aware where your of what mouth I'm is. saying. Yeah. So she opens up there. Uh, she opens up her her headquarters. And uh, she gets, like, a whole bunch of people to come either give free concerts or fundraising concerts. Like, people like Snoop Dogg and Prince are coming to this center and performing for, for, yeah, fundraisers. And out of that, so not only is she bringing, like, awareness in this organization to give students an outlet to express themselves that uh, aren't violent, uh, she also is using money that's made from those fundraising concerts to travel to Africa to work with children uh, who are diagnosed with AIDS and children who are living in poverty. So she's like a multifaceted fundraising social awareness juggernaut for the world. <laughs> and I think that's pretty cool. Um, and through all of that work, she she probably the least of the accolades you could possibly get through all of this, but uh, she got the key to the city of Dallas because of what she does there. You know, that's her that's her hometown. So she just is really doing what she, you know, thinks is right. It's always lovely to see an artist who's really working on, you know, they're not only a jack of all trades in the art world, but they're also trying to give back. I think that's always just a beautiful thing. We see that through a lot of artists, but, um, you know, Badu definitely does this in spades. Especially when you're a um, a controversial figure in some Areas, you know, like we talked yeah. about the controversy of the uh, the window seat, but she has some other stuff we'll talk about here in just a moment. But like, some people would say you have to do good stuff to like boost your image and to make you like palatable to the public. But uh, what I think I am learning about Erica Badu is that it's not about that. It's really just about helping people and doing what she thinks is right in her heart to do. And so you get the controversial sometimes art that comes along with that, but you also get like the extreme activism and using your platform to raise awareness to the issues surrounding uh, your community. Yeah. And just like anybody else, you know, she's, she's going to come under fire for some of her views here. Um, Well, let's, let's move into those. Um, Let's talk about her personal life for a second. So you get an idea of what we're talking about. Let me, let me go ahead and highlight a couple points that don't really relate to controversy. First of all, she's a mother. (laughs) Um, So we want to definitely highlight the fact that she is a mother. She has three children, seven serious Puma and Mars Merkaba praying that I said that last one in the right way. Um, She used this. Okay. Here's where my um, pop culture brain exploded a little bit. She used (laughs) to have a relationship with Andre 3000. And after reading, I never knew this. I might just be late to the game, but she, Badu and her mother are the subject of Miss Jackson, which is one of Andre 3000's greatest hits. I love the song Miss Jackson. I know I don't know anybody who doesn't think that song's a complete banger. I had no idea that she and her mom are the subject of this. Did you? Yeah, am either. I just late to I the know. party? Okay, all right. No, uh, and maybe other people were hip to it, but like like we said at the beginning of the show, we are just now deep diving <laughs> into Erica Badu. <laughs> so you know, I'm sure people are like banging their head against the wall right now. But yeah, yeah, I'm with we're, you. S- we're sorry if we we are late, but definitely let us know if we are just this much of nerds that we are just now finding <laughs> right. this out. Yeah. Um. But so anyway, she's also a strict vegan. Uh, so that, you know, she's, she's constantly, you know, employing veganism in her life and talking about it, but then she's got a couple other things. And I think this is where people probably raise their eyebrows a lot. She's been questioned about her feelings when it comes to controversial figures, such as, (laughs) you know, Hitler, Bill Cosby, R. Kelly. Recently she was, uh, I think it was in 2019 she talked she posted a tweet or something about love you R. Kelly and this was shortly after um, some some pretty darning evidence came out about R. Kelly but um, and people were like how can you possibly still feel that way same thing with Bill Cosby um, 
and Hitler. I read something that somebody, you know, she was like, well, Hitler might not have been all that bad. And the interviewer was saying something about, well, what's one thing about Hitler that was good? And her response was, well, he was a painter and his paintings, um, you know, we, we've seen them. He had decent painting. So that was a good thing about him. And I think, and people were just like jaw dropping, be like, how can you say anything nice about Hitler? And basically the point here is that her claim is that you, she needs to see the good in everybody or feels that we should be seeing the good in everyone, even however terrible they are viewed as, or what they've done in their life. So she will even share support for, or show support to some degree to people who have uh, done some pretty negative things. And that makes people's eyebrows definitely get raised. Yeah, it is a tough, tough uh, thing to come out and publicly say that uh, type of stuff. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I am fascinated by this part of her her life because I, I think I get it in the idea that if – you can't see people as human, then you are no better than the people that have treated others as not human. Uh, that's the way I take her viewpoint, right? So like, it's not about me yeah. seeing like somebody was good <laughs> when they clearly are uh, evil and have committed evil acts against a huge, a huge amount of people. Uh, but like to not recognize them as a human being, I think can rob people of the fact that they are. And there's like a shared connectedness in all of it. It's not something that I would probably willingly volunteer, voluntarily offer up <laughs> uh, to people. Um, but uh, yeah, man, what a tough, a tough, tough call, especially in like 20. Whenever this was, you know, like in this mm-hmm. age where everything is just snippets and sound bites and you don't uh, try to understand what people are thinking. Um, so I feel for her in that sense, you know. Uh, now, I will say that that's consistent with her beliefs that, you know, there's good in everybody. She's, I think that's the point she's trying to make. Perhaps I'm incorrectly assuming that. But um you know, with everything, in particular the three figures I named, uh, having any kind of positive thing to say about them is is jarring to the general public. So um, she, I mean, even when I read the thing about Hitler, I know my jaw dropped, um, yeah. just because it's weird yeah. to think of. Like it was so jarring to me just reading about it. So I can see where the response is questioning her for sure yeah and i don't know and i'm just you know speculating but as we have discussed in many other instances of her life and her music she is pretty she thinks very differently right and sometimes Mm -hmm. it is very uh jarring is the right word i don't want to use the word shocking because it's i I think there's a lot of words but it it is jarring and i think that the knee-jerk reaction is to immediately condemn and write off and and let me say this if you have been affected similarly or directly by a person that has hurt you i think you have every right not to um to really put up or have a very or you can have a very short uh attention span when people talk well about the people who've abused you but um she's an artist she has controversy, so I think, you know, I don't know how much that is that, but um, <laughs> it's not surprising that she has said that. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of her music, the majority of it even, is uh, influenced by her beliefs of the nation of gods and earths and her exploration of her African heritage. Now, Jeremy, you wrote this note. Um, the nation of gods and earths, can you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So I'll take over the section because, you know, if I summarize it poorly, then I can take all the blame for it, which is totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Because I tried to, because I, because this is such an influential part of her music, at least according to what we were reading about her. Um, so the nation of gods and earth is, 
is teaches that black people are the original people of the planet Earth, and therefore they are the fathers, the gods, and mothers, the Earths of civilization. So this is, I pulled that directly from uh, Wikipedia. Uh, the nation teaches that supreme mathematics and supreme alphabet, a set of principles created by Allah the Father, is the key to understanding humankind's relationship to the universe. So uh, as I was like ex- chewing on this and trying to understand what this all meant, right, uh, it sounds like um, my – it sounds kind of like where some of the stuff about the Illuminati comes from. And uh, I, I don't – like I only say that not because uh, one is like a conspiracy and one is like a legitimate teaching here. But the people that are looking at this from the outside looking in to what these people believe or like the, the teachings that they are holding to, it can really seem – like uh, secretive and like there's a divine and mystical understanding that other people are not privy to. Uh, and so there's a whole list of artists that, that ascribe to some of this teaching or have like uh, put some of the, these supreme mathematics and, and all this stuff into their music. And uh, that's about all I know about it. <laughs> but I just know that uh, that's – and the other part of it is um, – I'll, I'll say this. There is – uh, her philosophy also is influenced by African ideology and uh, African-centered and 5% theologies in Southern African-American folk traditions. And so uh, when I clicked on this link uh, to explore this further, again, another thing that I have not learned much about is uh, the, the 5% theology is uh, – or African-centered and 5% theology is uh, – I'm going to try to define it very broadly. Okay. So uh, – the African-centered theology teaching is the idea that uh, black people have a shared experience and a shared uh, destiny. And a lot of it comes from uh, and stems from the identity that is shared by people from the continent of Africa, especially as they were taken away uh, on slave ships, uh, you know, just only a few centuries ago. Uh, and so there's a, a, a sense of collective identity in that. The idea of the 5% theology is that um, there are 85% of people that aren't aware of what's happening in the world, uh, for lack of a better 85%? explanation. 85%? Unaware. 85%. 10, that are unaware. 10% okay. unaware. 10% are aware of what's happening in the world, and they're the powerful and elite, and they use that power to – uh, control the 85%, right? So 85% are just happy to live their lives. It's kind of like uh, uh, if you're familiar with the movie The Matrix, <laughs> kind of like what this is, right? You got you got 85% of people living in a simulation. 10% know what's happening and they control everything. And then you have – that leaves 5%. 5% of the people understand everything, and their goal in life is to educate and um, illuminate the other 85% as to the, the true nature of the world and the people that are controlling them. So um, wow. this is uh, pretty heavy stuff. And uh, again, this is very uh, – probably a very broad and hopefully not too poor of an introduction of what I've learned about this. Um, but – if you think about all the way back to when we started this episode, that at 14 or 15, she changed her name. Uh, that, like, is a theme that has threaded through all the way through all of her her music, um, especially, like, this idea of a collective identity uh, with other black people, which I think is is cool. It makes me – and I think I told you even before, maybe the episode at the beginning that I was like nervous <laughs> about this episode because I think there are parts Same. of it that I just will not ever understand. And so listening to her music is there, – there's something that as humans we can all collectively understand like heartbreak and loss and, and controversy and struggles. But I think if there is this additional layer to her music um, – that is about a shared collective identity with other black people, then that is really just something that I, I can't understand. So I hope I just don't do it injustice when I'm trying to share that with other people and, and share how deep her music even goes beyond just the human emotion of it all. You know, it's like it's a collective of something bigger than herself. Yeah, that's I think one of the most fascinating things about her is she really does understand that things are bigger than her. 
And a lot of great artists really have that sense. And I, I won't do anything to change what you said because I pretty much agreed with it. So I'm just going to agree with what you said. The, some of her experiences and theology, it's not something that I will understand, um, ever, but it doesn't mean I'm not listening. And I, hopefully our listeners can agree with that, that they'll, you know, listen to her music and um, just get a sense of who she is, what she's about, and maybe understand why she's saying the things she does. So we invite you to, uh, as we will often do at the end of our podcast, is go listen um, to this incredible artist and um, experience firsthand what she's offering to the world. Yeah, and so like I said earlier, we we have uh, a bunch of links in the show notes. We have her wiki. We have her official fan site. Uh, I linked her NPR Tiny Desk concert, which is like from three years ago. Um, I linked the Spotify profile for Erica Badu, uh, and I listed Erica Badu's Essentials playlist from Apple Music. Um, so you can check all that out and give it a listen, like uh, Daphne said, and just kind of connect uh, wherever you can with her music. It's something I'm probably um, – it's been added to my rotation. I'll probably listen to some more when I hang up this uh, call. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. And so if, if there's anything that you really resonated with or you liked about this podcast, then uh, by all means, we want you to con – contact us and let us know, or if we just got something totally off the wall wrong, you know, uh, you can let us know that too. We're not fully knowledgeable, <laughs> and uh, but you can do that a couple different places. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us at uh, underscore ATM podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Jeremy P. England. You can email us at contact at allthingsmusicpodcast.com, and you can also go to the website allthingsmusicpodcast.com, which will link us to or link you to our anchor page where you can leave uh, voice messages if you want. And uh, we would just love to hear from you. You know, like if you checked out any of Erica Badu's music, if there's anything you learned from this episode, if there's something you just, uh, you know, any way that it influenced you, good or bad, we just love to hear from you. Uh, and, of course, subscribe to our feed so you can get any more uh, episodes when they drop and give us a nice rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast at. 